0: This is the With a Dog Podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Hello, people with a dog. Happy last day of January 2024. We have a great winter-themed episode for you guys today all about sled dogs and mushing as a dog sport. So I'm really excited for this one. I do need to drop a little apology first. I'm sorry there was no episode last week, everyone. As many of you know, if you've been here a while, I am doing Invisalign for my teeth and... It's fine, like it's going great. It's just still going, like we're we're on year two, and um, I can currently not actually close my teeth. I know it's a complete privilege to be able to even pay for this type of dental care and to fix my teeth and my bite. However, last week I was about to record a solo episode, but I had an orthodontist appointment early in the morning. They changed some things around, and I I was in too much pain. I was spiraling. I felt like my teeth were clacking together every time I talked. It was just not happening. So thank you everyone for being patient with me and being okay with skipping last week's episode. If there is a silver lining on that, I would like to say it does show actually a lot of growth on my part (laughs) because I think in the past I would have just gutted through it. I would have just been like, no, I need to get something out and, and really beat myself up. But last week I was like, you know what? I love all you people. I love you people with a dog. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna skip one and it's okay. Like, it's okay. You don't need to punish yourself for it, Carly. But I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background of of what's going on um, on this side of the mic. But moving on to today's episode. Okay, I love this episode because for me, it's the perfect mix of what I like to interview. It is a mix of Alyssa's dog mom life and the dog sports that she does with her dogs but then also it's incredibly informative it really educated me and I'm sure it's going to do the same for all of you just about sled dogs and mushing so we go into like mushing as a dog sport we cover the dog positions the vernacular Uh, different equipment they sometimes use, how Alyssa herself got into mushing, the types of dogs that make great sled dogs, and like the mix of breeds, and also debunking some common misconceptions about mushing. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Just as a little side note, Alyssa is a professional in this sport. Her husband is a competitive musher. They both own a dog sled tour company. So of course, her perspective is gonna be a little bit more from the professional lens, which is exactly why I wanted to interview her. But if you have a golden doodle or a spaniel or who knows, even a corgi, there's no reason you can't get into mushing as a hobby as well. So we're talking to the elite here in this interview, but if you just wanna be exposed to a new dog sport, some new option that you can explore with your dog, does not matter what kind of dog you have. I hope you guys enjoy this. Let's get into it with Alyssa. So, Alyssa, welcome to the With a Dog podcast. Hi Carly, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have you here because you were referred to me actually by Charlotte. Everyone knows Charlotte with dogs on the pod she, cuz she's gotten so much more into like mushing and sledding with her dogs. And so I was like we need to we need to learn more about this, and she was like Alyssa's the one to tell you. So, I'm excited. I'm excited you're here. Um, first things first, before we get into it, though, how are you? Like, how's life? How's dog mom life? Like, what's up?
1: Oh, wow. Well, it's, it's good. It's good. It's a lot right now. We're right in the middle of, like, our busy season. So um, we have a 300-mile race uh in like a week and a half february 2nd is when it starts so we're like in the middle of tours in the middle of training the dogs for that um and we also have some puppies that were kind of that we're watching our friend's dogs and it was the dog was unexpectedly pregnant so keeping puppies happy and healthy in the middle of <laughs> winter time so it's a lot but it's so much fun it's so great so i am doing great and i will be really good in like the second week of february when we don't have to be training as hard core
0: (laughs) oh my goodness well thank you so much for taking the time to even talk to me in the midst of all of that so you mentioned a race is that like how long does a 300 mile race take
1: these dogs are so incredible it will take um right about what, two and a half days. The the Alaskan Husky is capable of running about 100 miles in a day. So my husband, Ron, is racing the team and the race starts on Saturday. This is the second and the third. I I, I don't know, Um, but it starts on Saturday and Ron plans on being done about 5 or 8 p.m. on Monday. Um, So the dogs and him will run through um, the interior of Alaska and that dogs will sleep way more than ron will sleep but he'll be taking care of them and yeah they're they're
0: incredible incredible athletes is this like the sport is, is it what is the sport called i guess is it sled dog racing
1: it's i feel like it, it kind of de- that will depend on who you ask um we call it dog mushing it probably depends on the day to what i would call it dog mushing dog sledding so um you know, it's a sled dog race that he's competing in, but it, you can call it mushing. You can call it dog sledding. It, you're not going to offend anyone. Okay. There's no, no, like this is the term.
0: Sorry. Now I'm totally getting down this road. (laughs) I'm like, how are you? But also tell me everything about this. So like as a sport though, is he racing? Like, does he have sponsors? Like, is he like an athlete like that? Where, or is it like, this is a fun race for me. That's a good question. So, um,
1: for us personally, Ron um, is not. We have a couple small sponsors, but he's it's not sponsored. He's kind of like in between like the borderline of it just for fun and, and it being. So it's a lifestyle basically is, is what okay. it is. So um, Ron's father professionally has raced sled dogs for about 40 years. So he had a lot of sponsors. So Ron, Ron has seen that and he was able to utilize his dad's sponsorship when he was younger. But now as an adult, he's. Like, we were, we were, like, rebuilding a kennel. Ron got out of sled dogs for a while and then met me and I drug him back into sled dogs. <laughs> and um, so we, like I said, we have a few sponsors, but it's, we are self-funded. Like, that's how one of the reasons that we do the tours is that helps pay for the racing. Um, and the racing is how you prove that you are doing good dog care and good training because if you go into a race and you flop you come in last place you have to scratch you kind of learn like maybe my dog care isn't adequate sometimes you come in last place just because of situations i'm not saying that anyone that comes in last place is not taking care of their dogs properly but i'm I'm just saying like when you race it helps you learn like i should be doing these things i should be doing those things and so it's what we call proving your team it's how you prove your team is by racing them And then Roland's really competitive, so he thinks racing is, like, really fun. I enjoy racing because I like being out on the trail with my friends and the dogs and, and like, the camaraderie. And Roland likes that, too. He also, you know, likes – passing people and stuff like that. The
0: competitive part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. No, thank you for that. I'm already learning so much. I like what you said that it's a lifestyle because I think that does put it in perspective as far as, you know, people I know who do like marathons or, you know, ultra marathons or something like that. It's like, it's a lifestyle. You don't have to have necessarily sponsors, but also if they are a running coach themselves, it's a kind of a way to also test themselves a little bit too. So, okay. That, that makes sense. Um, We will get into that. Sorry. I'm, I'm totally going on tangents already so you yourself you are juggling all of that at the moment it's a busy season for the tours and you got the races you've got how many dogs are you caring for
1: so we're caring for 69 dogs right now we're taking care of our friends dogs and we have our dogs and we have like in, the, in that mix of dogs a lot of times dog marshals will kind of like cheat and be like oh i've got like Thirty dogs, because that's their dogs that are running. But like mm-hmm. we have sixty-nine dogs that includes puppies. You have older dogs that are retired that aren't running. Um, mm-hmm. We will we adopt out dogs as they get older, but some of the dogs stay with us forever. So it's like we've got a huge mix of dogs. We've got um, about thirty-five dogs that are actively running.
0: Wow! So you've got all of that on your plate, obviously your dog mom supreme. Um, (laughs) Compared to me, I'm over here like, I'm overwhelmed with two. So (laughs) I can only imagine. But in the midst of all that, what is a recent with a dog win you've had? That
1: is such a good question. Um, I like that you asked that. So I I feel like I have a hard time kind of like pinpointing anything that's a win because I – I feel like every day when you're I'm out with my dogs and I'm seeing that they're like happy and thriving, like that that's the the win for, yeah. for me. Like it's just like oh my gosh, this is so awesome. This is like so worth it. So I, I can't. I I feel like we're so deep in the trenches right now. I can't be like oh yeah, like this one thing. Like I did a race with the dogs. Uh, I did a hundred mile race with the dogs in mid December. And like, that was a, a great like dog mom win. Cause the, it, the conditions were really hard. The dogs ended up getting sick the second day. And mm-hmm. I just like slowed down and let people pass and was like, I don't care about what place we come. And I just want my dogs to be happy. And I knew after it was a 50 mile run and I knew after 30 miles, they would kind of work through it and get better and like trusted my gut and 30 miles into it. The dogs were like, all right, all right, we're feeling better. We got this. And they finished strong and happy. And that's like, that's what's super important. I was like, they're happy and so I guess from like a recent dog mom win is that I've just noticing that my dogs are super happy right now they thrive in the winter time and and they're they're really happy with what's going on
0: That's a great win no I think even just having the ability to reflect on acknowledging their happiness and have it you know funnel back to you of like that makes me happy just realizing how happy your dogs are and then also getting joy from that is like a total win okay so back to dog racing. How did you even get into it? Like what is your story? You mentioned your husband and like it was kind of a family thing for him. Was that the same for you? And you're you're based in Alaska. Where exactly in Alaska?
1: We're in Talkeetna, which is um we're technically in South Central Alaska. We are 2 hours north of Anchorage. So if you look at a map and find Anchorage and you kind of look up towards Denali, um we're we're up that way. We're towards the start of what we would call the interior of Alaska.
0: Okay. So that's where you are. Are you originally from there? Just give me the origin story of how you are where you are now.
1: So I'm originally from Northern California near Lake Tahoe, not Southern California or the beaches.
0: No, I'm from (laughs) Sacramento and my parents live in, in Lake Tahoe
1: yeah (laughs) that's so funny that's awesome so
0: where exactly now i'm like super curious now you know so i was born
1: in auburn and i grew up in forest hill um you know auburn was the closest hospital um Mm -hmm. and and then we lived in truckee for a bit and then i was a kid and then uh, we moved like back and forth to truckee so then um i worked in truckee and lived in portola
0: Awesome. Okay, so I was in like Folsom, so we went yeah. up fifty always to yeah. like South Tahoe, but then yeah, so you were like up eighty. Yeah. Um, but that's so funny. Oh that's yeah, small so world. Cool. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I yeah, love Truckee, and
1: Roseville. It's so cool. I, I love it there. It's. It's so sad. Like we moved because the house house market just exploded.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. My parents just slid in and got like a fixer upper for their retirement, and and they've kind of retired up there now. Well, almost. Um, if they ever <laughs> actually stop working, but right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, and it's I'm so spoiled at going down there because I'm just like I treat it as my own little vacation home. Yes. And no, that's, oh, that's awesome. So cool. Okay, so you, so you, you knew the snow.
1: Yeah, right. You know. So coming from northern. California I think a lot of people think that we we don't get snow in California and um I grew up in the snow I grew up with snow and um so I I was about three years old and I told my mom that I was going to miss her when I was in Alaska with my sled dogs <laughs> <laughs> so when we were kids uh, in California dog dog washing in general used to be much larger um in the in the 90s and early 2000s So it seemed like at that time, everyone, even people in suburban areas did like um, urban mushing and and, um, there's actually a man that I know who now lives in Truckee. But he was on the beach and had – he'd go around and collect the neighborhood dogs and take them out for a run on the beach and stuff. So it it was – I think we were a bit more exposed to it maybe as kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, like, a lot of programs on TV about Native people in Alaska with their sled dogs and and just how people, like, lived with that. And then the Iditarod actually used to be televised. And so we were exposed to it a bit more.
0: Okay. That's what I was thinking was – when I was thinking of like, what do I actually know about sled dogs, which is very little still, it was like the movies. It was like the Balto right. and right. Iron Will. And like, like I was like, I, th- I feel like I do remember it being a bigger thing, like in it my was. childhood.
1: No, it was like, that's the thing. Like we had movies, right? Like, uh, I feel like everyone our age watched Balto and Iron Will. And, yeah. and then like, maybe Snow Dogs. It was like, kind of cheesy oh, you right. know yes. but <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that one <laughs> there's still that but so I think I actually really do believe that Balto and Iron Will like did really inspire a, a generation of kids to at least like go get a husky and like mm-hmm. want to go outdoors so Balto definitely was but I think Balto I think I was about six by the time Balto came out maybe I, I'd have to look at when it came out again but yeah um so and we'd like go to my mom took us to the library a lot and we like i check out books about dog sledding and so then we had a labrador and i would make her harnesses out of jump rows and like have her pull me around and my poor brother he's three years younger than me but he's six foot four so he's always been like since he was three years old he's been bigger than me so that was my first sled dog was my little brother he'd pull (laughs) me around (laughs) we'd be like playing and he'd be like could i please be the musher today can you be the dog and i'm like no you have to be the dog (laughs) My poor brother. Um, so I finally convinced my parents. We moved to Truckee. And so I was like, okay, we're, we're finally in snow. I Can I get a sled dog? And we got, like, she was a lab husky mix. And she was not a very good sled dog. But she tried. And <laughs> um, my grandparents bought me a dog sled. And I'd saved up my money. And I'd bought, like, all of the gear. Like, that's how popular dog mushing used to be. That the pet store in Truckee used to carry harnesses and, and gear for so you could just, like, go buy it and take your dog out. So, yeah, it's like, now you can't find that there. No. Um, so I bought the gear and, and when I was, uh, I think I was a 10 or 11, when my grandparents bought me my first dog sled for Christmas... And so, basically, it just, like, evolved, and, and my grandma took me, finally, to my first dog sled race, and I met people who had sled dogs, and they were like, oh, we'll mentor you, and you can come out and, and train dogs. So then I was out, like, running dogs with these people, and I got my first sled dog from, from them, and uh it was pretty wild. I got her when I was 13, and she she lived to 14 and a half years she lived so long wow yeah she uh that was great her name was Comet um and then I got another dog and just so I started with Siberian Huskies because that's what my mentors had and so anyway when I was about I got the dog when I was 13, but when I was about 10, I really kind of started like pushing to get into mushrooms. Getting sharing. into
0: it. Yeah, you were like manifesting this right, from the right. get-go. You were like, this is what I'm going to do, I and do and I'm going to end up in Alaska. So how did you – were you just like, this is what I want to do, and you just moved up? Or did you so, meet your husband first? Or
1: Yeah, so I actually – I did. I came to Alaska twice. Um, in 2010 and 2014 and and handled for people so uh, handling is what you call when you're kind of like an employee or an apprentice for a dog musher but um there's there's like a a culture shift that definitely needs to happen some um handlers a lot of times they don't get paid and it's kind of like really hard hard work for free which i was like whatever fine with but um there's some people that they just like expect a lot and kind of I don't put up with bullshit. They mm-hmm. they just like kind of wanted to really push you around. And um, actually, one of the mushers was like super abusive, so I left and was like, I'm done with Alaska. I'm done with like professional dog mushers. Like I'm just gonna have my dogs and like recreationally run them and just have fun with them. Mm-hmm. And then I met Ron, of course. <laughs> right? And so my husband grew up with um, his father was a professional dog musher, just retired. Um, like two years ago, and Roan has done the Iditarod three times, and and won a lot of mid-distance races here in Alaska. Um, so I, I actually came up with to Alaska with a friend for the start of Iditarod. Roan's dad was racing, and Roan was supposed to be racing in that race as well, but kind of at the last minute, like had this like his brother had almost died in a car accident and I was like, I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And like, I, you know, life's too short. I need to like, make sure this is what I want to be doing. So he withdrew from the race, which like thankfully he did because we probably like wouldn't be together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came up and handled and I was like, Oh wow, these people are actually different. They're, they're not mean to the people <laughs> that work for them and they're very kind to their dogs and stuff. And so and that's how Ron and I met. And we just kind of kept visiting each other. He'd come down to California so, at the time he had decided that you know dogs had been kind of his dad's thing and and maybe he he was trying to figure out if like, is this my thing? And he was kind of feeling mm-hmm. unfulfilled in it because it's it's hard you can get kind of caught in this like trap of like, I have to race, I have to win, and I have to train every day and it takes the joy out of it right because he does yeah. he's a huge dog lover just like me. And all of a sudden, he's like, why am I even doing this? like i I'm not enjoying being with the dogs. So he had taken a step back so he actually told me like we can't be together because I'm I'm out of dogs. It's like okay, whatever. Well, and then he like kept coming to visit me and he's like, Bro, like you said you couldn't do this. So then then we started dating and we we did long distance for a year and we were trying to figure out if we were gonna end up in California or or in Alaska and he decided to move down to California mm-hmm. and he literally told me he's like I'm not doing anything with the dogs, though. Like, I'm not doing anything with dogs. Okay, fine. It's like, fine. It's my, it's my dogs. And I literally said to him, I was like, that's fine, because if you get back into dogs, we're going to have, like, 50 dogs, and we're going to have to move to Alaska. And I'm like, fine with where I'm at with my 20 dogs. And then I started in the fall. We do what's called fall training, and we go out with um, an ATV or four-wheeler or a quad, whatever you call it, and we put it into, like, we put it into gear and give the dog some resistance, but you're giving it gas. So it's kind of like our equivalent of weight training. So you go shorter mm-hmm. distances, you start off with a couple miles and then build up, and However far you go it depends on people's personal preference. I We typically only go like 10 to 15 miles on, on the four-wheeler by, by the time fall training's done. I go to fall training a couple times, and then he's like, hey, can I come with you? <laughs> I, you weren't going to do this. And then all of a sudden, he's like out with me, and he's like, hey, I just have to give you some pointers. Like, you're doing this wrong with the dogs. and I'm just like, dude, like, you <laughs> said you were retired. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, then then we got a knock on the door like a year later, and someone was asking us to give rides. We both had other jobs. And so then on our days off, we were giving dog sled rides. So we actually ran for a while. The only dog sled tour company in California. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened. We were right before COVID. We were like, okay, we want to get married. We want to start a family. So we need more property. Like we had a small house and we you know our our tour business was really successful so we're like okay we were gonna you got to get a couple more dogs we only had one team worth of dogs and that's not fair to the dogs you need a couple teams to make yeah. it easier on the dogs and stuff and and then the house market went like it was like a million dollars for us to like, to get a house that mm-hmm. would have worked for us and
0: especially so like, covid times in that area was just yeah 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 it was
1: so bad like every and i don't blame people they wanted to get away and it so what we're sitting there going well I owned my house and we're like, well, we could profit off of this. And mm-hmm. the market hadn't gone up in Alaska. It was still really low. So we're like, well, we could go to Alaska. And my in laws live here. So we're like, well, we'll have grandparents close by and help from his parents because they, they know what they're doing with the sled dogs. Mm-hmm. So we sold our place, my place in California and then moved up to Alaska. So that, that's the story of how we ended up here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you, you moved up there. You started the tour company. You now have a young son as well. Like you you did all the things, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, it was a lot.
0: (laughs) It was Um, like, hey,
1: let's move. Let's start a business and like a new business. Let's have a kid. Let's just do all of it.
0: Yes. Well, I think it's... It's interesting how you both were maybe a little bit disillusioned with some of the, like, the dog racing things or, like, the dog sledding. And then you were just, like, had to take a step back and then move forward together. Be like, oh, how can we create this to be something that we actually would want out of life? I mean, I find that to be a very romantic story.
1: (laughs) That's a really good point. I don't think I've ever looked at it like that, that we were both like, yeah, screw this, like – but yeah, it is. That's, we're very like idealistic people. And we're like, this is how things should be. So it was it's nice because our views align. So we were able to be like, well, this is how we want our dogs to be run and this is how we want to represent mushing.
0: Yeah. I imagine there's so much more of a community probably up there of the mush like the mushing community it than is. as you said, like the only one in California. Like you were.
1: Yeah, I'm not way more of a community. Like way more women my age, way more female mushers. So it is really nice.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Um okay, so that's how it all happened. I do have one question about like before you got with Roan, when you were doing your own, you said you had like 20 dogs of your own. How did you even manage that? Because I think from the perspective of, you know, dog mom in, tw- in your 20s kind of thing, which is I think a lot of my listeners are and I've been there too. And it's it's where it's like all kind of new, even if you've had dogs your whole life and stuff, it's like, no, now this is my dog and it's like fully my care. And then now times that by 20. So like, how did you manage being like in your 20s and kind of figuring out life also while being like, I need to find a place that's big enough to house all these dogs. All of my paycheck is going to their food and like their needs. And I guess, how did you like balance that? That's a really good question. Um,
1: Okay, so it's gonna be like kind of a long answer here. So um, first of all, like I had said, I was like into dogs since I was a young child. So I convinced my parents um, that we could have you know, dogs, and I'd take care of them. So uh, we had four dogs when I was a kid, and I had paperwork and charts, and I did all of, like the nail clipping and the the teeth cleaning and, and all of that um, for the dogs from the time
0: I was really young. So, so you didn't have that learning curve. No, but I took yeah. care of
1: like a lot of dogs, and then and then because I was fortunate enough to sh- that the kennel that helped me. I would go and help take care of their dogs and they had like 30 dogs so I I did learn like okay this is how you can kind of efficiently take care of dogs manage them because when you have even three dogs you have to maybe manage different personalities and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that Um, so I was fortunate enough to learn that I did grow up in uh, an abusive home and so I like basically cut ties with my parents in my early 20s so Mm -hmm. I And I basically was on my own for like a lot of my life. So it it was different. I feel like the people that it's really hard when you have your parents. It's great. It's so great. But you kind of like have this, you're like this little bird that needs to get kind of kicked out of the nest. And it's so scary. You know, you're like, I just want, I just need like to figure out on my own, but I also need help. So I had kind of already overcome all of that. So it wasn't, I don't feel like I had, you know, oh my gosh, all of these different things. Um, I also was really fortunate that my grandmother was in real estate and she like imparted in us that you buy a house as soon as possible. Like you buy a house, you buy a house, you put the 2% down and you buy a house because if you look at rent, what rent costs and what house costs. And so I was lucky and and the housing market was lower. And I so I bought my first house and I was like 22. And so I was awesome. able to sell that house to then buy this other house where i had more dogs like i i have been a bit psychotic and like literally from the time i was like 13 years old i worked and i was working towards like how can i make sure that i've got this stuff for the dogs and provided for them with all that said like you had said you know kind of managing being in your 20s i do think that the dogs like have saved my life and kept me on track because of Mm -hmm. the situation like with my family i feel like I, i would have been more inclined to maybe like go out and party and like self-medicate and Mm -hmm. I do think that the dogs are somewhat of a form of like self-medication but they are like absolutely my therapy so it was a really healthy outlet for me to kind of just pour all of my energy and time into Mm -hmm. so I feel like what made I maybe wasn't like everyone else in their 20s and like going out and hanging out with my friends and stuff you know I was like I'm gonna stay at home with my dogs like sorry (laughs) I I can't go hang out I have to go feed my dogs um And I lived an hour away from most of my friends, which um, I think can be a bit isolating, but it's not, it wasn't really a big deal for me because I was still busy working, taking care of the dogs and then running the dogs on my days off. And I had great friends there who would drive out and visit me. And um, I am not an incredibly social person. And right out of high school, I went to cosmetology school because I saw that as a good way for me to like make money, have flexible hours and like be able to live the lifestyle that I wanted. So working 10 to 12 hours a day talking to people and doing their hair. The last thing I wanted to do was go hang out with more people. I was more than happy to just go home and be with my dogs. So there was, like, a lot of thought that was put into this from, like, a very, like, early stage of, like, what career can I have that I can get through school fast, I can make money, that I will enjoy. So all of that stuff. Um, So it still is – it's a lot to try and – you know, manage the dogs and, and make sure that they're all getting their needs But Thankfully, working dogs are not like your typical... I have a German Shepherd who's pet bred German Shepherd. That dog needs attention. He needs to be with me. He, like, needs to know that, like, hey, bud, I, I care about you. Working Siberian Huskies are like, you want to pet me? Cool. Okay, well, I'm actually going to go over here. Like, hey, give me <laughs> two minutes of attention. Okay, bye. So, yeah. they, you know, it wasn't like I had even... Twenty golden retrievers, and like in that mix of twenty, there was like I was doing some fostering for the local shelter, and um, like I just I did I was doing a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it is a different. I know exactly what you're saying. Of like when the dogs are kind of all in a group, whereas if it's just like you and the dog in the home, yeah, you're focused on each other. Whereas if they if you do have a bigger group, sometimes it can be easier.
1: They take care of each other. Like they're they're their emotional sport. Yeah, like need that constant humor. I would make sure I spend a minimum of an hour in the morning with them and then two hours at night. But they weren't like, oh, my God, I missed you. They just kind of like, oh, she's here.
0: Like, oh, you're back. Good. Is is it time to eat? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay. No, thank you for sharing that story. I think it's really interesting to hear about how the dogs were kind of your guiding light throughout your whole life a little bit because I've felt that way with different work that I've done where I've like always worked in the pet industry and especially when I was at the shelter it was like like oh the do- dog care or like getting up at 6am for that shift and like you know going to feed them and everything is it's like you do it because you know that they need you and and you enjoy it too. It's kind of like a it's like a this back and forth of like enjoyment. But when I've gone and worked at like different corporate stuff, yes. I've had a really hard time because I'm just like, what's the point here? Like what yes, like what higher power are we working towards? Is it just consumerism like or whatever right. it's just right. like but yeah when you're working with the dogs it's like yes i'm willing to give my time and energy and money and everything yeah. for you yeah no i totally get that and i think as you said it probably was a very good like form of therapy to it's it's an interesting concept different people have different opinions on i think of having a dog when you're young or when you're just figuring out life you know yeah. so whether you're a teenager or like early 20s or whatever because some people are like, Oh, no, you don't want to be tied down. Like, don't do that. But then on the flip side, it's like, hey, they're keeping you on track a little bit, you're not gonna stay out all night and be completely hung over the next day, because you know, you have to walk the dog and feed the dogs and and all of that. So that I mean, that's on a much smaller scale than what you were even dealing with.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. And that's I, I think as long as someone can be responsible and you know, make sure that they're they're not leaving their dog like created overnight while they're out partying. Like young people should get dogs. It's so fulfilling. It's so rewarding and it helps it gives you a goal to work towards instead of like, why not am I
0: even doing this? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like this care of like another being. Yeah. It it keeps you a little bit more aligned with your own like personal goals too. So thank you, yeah, for sharing that story of kind of how you got into all of it. Okay, so now you're up in Alaska. You've got the tour company. You guys also do races. Can you give me some of the vernacular basically? So even just like where the dogs sleep. Is that like called a certain thing? Or when they exercise, like what different types of exercise, their gear, like the equipment? Give me oh some like Oh my god,
1: this is going to go on for like an hour, dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> give me like the the base the like top ones, I guess.
1: Okay, so some uh dog sledding, dog mushing vernacular that you might hear people use or hear me use and be like, wait, what does this mean? Um, dog yard is what most of us call where the dogs live. Our dogs do live outside. Um dogs these dogs grow a coat most dogs, double coated dogs, grow a coat to their environment. So if we had them inside where it's seventy degrees, they would not grow that double coat. And then it's it's 30 below zero today. When I take them out for a run, if if they don't have the right coat, they could get injured. Um, They also have been bred for 6,000 plus years to live in the cold. So just like a wolf lives outside and a fox lives outside and every wild canid lives outside, they are happy outside. Most of them were not sleeping in their dog houses this morning when I got up. (laughs) So most dog mushers have what they call a dog yard where their dogs live. Um, We have dog sleds. That's what you call the sled that the dog pulls. Um, The line that attaches to the sled that attaches to the dogs is called the gang line. The line that attaches from the gang line to the dog's harness is called the tug line. Most people use what's called a neckline that connects from the gang line to the dog's collar. We personally do not use necklines. We like our dogs to have a bit more freedom. The dogs obviously wear
0: a harness. Is it like a back clip harness or like a front clip?
1: Different people use different types of harnesses. We use a style of harness called an X-back harness. So it has, as the name implies, an X of webbing that goes across the back. Um, I almost, I can't think of anyone that doesn't use a harness that has padding on the dog's chest and neck. Um, Our harnesses are padded all the way down to the rib cage, and then it connects to a a loop on the back that connects right kind of at the dog's hips they do Mm. make harnesses so the dog is pulling from kind of off of its its back but there have been numerous studies on it and the dogs um, where they're pulling from is like centered on their chest that's that's where it actually so it's kind of like a backpack so when you're wearing a backpack and you're kind of you know, you've got that chest clip and you're kind of feeling more of the pressure on your shoulders and and are across your chest. So that's where these harnesses kind of more, they, it does do a little bit on on the back, but it's not as, as much. Um, it's really interesting too, once the dog's, do that kind of initial tug and get the sled going. Um, the pounds per pressure that's actually on them is very light. The sled's kind of gliding on its own, obviously, yeah. up hills and stuff. There's more, but mushers do. Um, they do what's called pedaling. They kick with their feet. Some of them carry ski poles and ski pole and they push. We also jump off and run. Um, so we are helping the dogs out and working with them. There's other harnesses called half harnesses that they clip the harness, as you could imagine, only goes halfway down the dog's back. And it clips. some of them clip on the top and some of them clip to the sides. Okay. None of the harnesses clip on the front because that's like you've seen those no-pull harnesses that clip on the front. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of the thought behind it is you don't want to limit the dog's scapula. That's kind of been yeah. the the thought for a long time, but it's really interesting because there is a kind of new style of harness called a supple-style harness I say it's a new style but it's actually an old style that was really popular about a hundred years ago that people are switching back to and it does go it kind of looks like those no pull harnesses that goes lower across the front of the dog and it does kind of cut across the scapula we've seen a lot of friends getting like great success with those and they're saying that it's limiting shoulder injuries so we haven't tried these out and that's the really interesting and neat thing about dog mushing and i feel like just like any sport everyone's always trying to find ways to improve for the dog's health and we're always trying out new things and and we share with each other and try and help each other out um so i'm sure in 10 years there will be a new style of harness a long time ago there was a a long time like 10 years ago there was a style of harness called an h-back that no one i've never not seen anyone use in a long time but for the most part most of the harnesses connect connection points to the tug line is either from the the back of the dog or it is from like the middle of the back of the dog. There is, I guess, one other type of harness that is really popular that's kind of more popular. It's called a spreader style or CV style harness. The guy named Dallas CV and his family has kind of made this harness more popular and it it does actually go down. um, The harness goes down kind of off of the dog's hip and then there's a bar in between a spreader bar. Well, we call it a shit stick because the dogs poop all over. (laughs) (laughs) It's disgusting. We don't use those harnesses because of that. Um, But that one is an interesting one, too. It it just pulls from a slightly different uh, spot. So basically, though, it's either connected off the the rear end of the dog or kind of right on the middle of the
0: back. I think I've seen those, the X harness. Those that are was most called? popular. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those also for people who do can across. Yeah, like the running.
1: Okay, and so that there is an uh, another harness for any anyone listening who because canny cross is kind of like more of what most people are going to be doing, um or bike drawing nonstop. Yeah. Dogware makes a really cool harness called Free Motion that you can use while sledding, but you can also use it while uh, doing any kind of joring. and it. It like kind of has a more of a rotation point, so it's not when when you are jogging the the connection point, like the where the pressure on the dog is is a different angle than when it's connected to a sled because sled. Connection point is lower versus when you're standing, so the free motion harness is really cool because it's giving the dog like an appropriate pull. So I did forget about that one. We don't use those with sleds, but and I don't really recommend using the free motion with a sled. But doing any kind of joring with your dog, it's an incredible harness.
0: Okay, this is so this is also interesting. Thank you for explaining all of those. I'm yeah, I want to like Google all of them now. Um, (laughs) so speaking of joring versus sledding versus mushing like what is the difference between those words
1: i uh, okay so joring is what i call any kind of like ski joring uh like any kind of candy cross with your dog um anything where the dog and you it's like uh, one or two dogs connected to the human Um, okay That's what I would consider drawing. So um I think some people would call it just like ski drawing. You can also oh bike drawing is where your dog pulls you on a bike. Yeah. Um mushing is what I would call when you have the dogs with a sled. Um Okay. Dog sledding. Dog mushing I feel like can be kind of a, a broad term, I suppose, for, you know, any kind of dog powered sport. Um
0: but for you usually like in your community I mean, obviously, you're in a community that does more like snow dog stuff, but they still call it mushing.
1: Yeah, that's, they they call it mushing. The only thing that we don't do is no one that I know, I'm so sorry to burst everyone's bubble. We don't say mush to have the dogs go. That's <laughs> not a thing. I'm sorry. Um, that's that's the only time that the word mush is used inappropriately. Uh, okay, okay. Most people, I've seen a lot of people say hike, like hike, 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 or hike. Uh, kind of more in the lower 48, so outside of Alaska, or recreational measures of what I've noticed. I've noticed a lot of the people in Alaska say, ready, or let's go. So we have a two-part command for our dogs. We say, ready, and that means like to stop, time to stop goofing around.
0: Pay attention. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Like, stand up, let's go. We don't use necklines on our dogs, so they can turn around and kind of interact with each other more, play in the snow more. Say, so, ready. Okay, that means we're about to go, and then we say, let's go or all right let's go and then they know to go um we like using let's go because then uh, oh i had posted on my instagram story a couple days ago um there was a river otter out on the side of the trail and it charged us because apparently they're mean and our a couple of our dogs were like looking at it and so we were able to be like let's go let's go let's go and it so it means like come on come on come on you know pick up the pace so yeah. that's why we like to use let's go as a go command because of that um but i don't know anyone that says "mush."
0: thank you this is why I asked the question about the vernacular because I want to make sure that anytime like just being in the dog community not knowing sometimes like that realm it's like I want to make sure I don't put my foot in my mouth and be like so you do sled dog things and they're like no it's bike drawing and like I want to make sure that I know
1: I feel like a lot of the terms they're really interesting I feel like they're kind of universal and they are kind of like um area specific like people mm. in Michigan might call something a bit different than even different parts of Alaska I've noticed people kind of call call things different parts of the sport different okay uh, so you're not you I feel like you can't go wrong because everyone just is like oh yeah it's a broad broad term for this broad term
0: okay okay no good um back to the lines really quick so you got the gang line and then the tug lines come off so I'm assuming, depending on how many dogs you're running at a specific time, the gang line like gets shorter or longer. Yeah. And then the tug lines—is there like a standard for how long those are off of the gang That's line? That's a good or? question.
1: Um, so actually, the gang line and the tug lines, um, there's not like, oh yeah, your standard gang line is ten feet long and your standard tug line is five feet long. I do think that when you're ordering, if you're ordering from a company, most of them are going to be X long, however long. Um, my husband makes all of our gang lines and our tug lines because he wants them specific. So what we have found works well for us is because we don't use necklines, using a shorter tug line, which means you can use a shorter gang line. So when you're running 16 dogs, your your dogs aren't like way down there around the corner away from you. If you use shorter lines, they're closer. But you do have to be careful about using too short of a line because we want. The dog to be able to be kind of pulling like straight off the line and if you have it too short, they kind of start to get at more an angle. And if you think like physics wise, if they're not running kind of straight, then they're not pulling. Their inertia is like getting wasted in mm-hmm. sideways pull as well. So that's one of the reasons that there's different harnesses because different dogs sometimes run differently. Okay. And so People put them in different harnesses to kind of help straighten out that pulling. Um, so I will be completely honest with you. I have no idea how long our tug lines are. I think they're about three feet long are probably our tug lines. And um, we have swivels on ours. It's really cool. So the dogs can move around and the lines don't as easily get tangled. So we use halibut fishing swivels. um, And we use iron rope for our gang lines different people use like cable filled and um, poly gang lines is another one so yes yeah, so if you're ordering specifically from a company typically they are all kind of an average size they do make so you can special order some that are longer shorter so it, that is a, a really interesting thing is as you kind of get further into the sport people start having like really strong opinions about like I need my gang line this long or that long and this is what's better and that's what's better and it, it's all personal choice
0: okay okay no that's why I- was asking is because i think as a viewer like you know google images you see it looks like i'm like how do they have the length to like play with each other but then also when you look at the picture of them in formation it looks like everything's just very like rigid and yeah yeah, set so that's why i was just like wondering now on to the dogs the positioning of them like you mentioned like if you're running 16 dogs is there like a leader? Is that, is there like a name for that leader or like, is there a name for like the dogs in the back or like the positions?
1: Yeah. So the sled dog positions, um, there's not like too many names for them. So the dogs in the front, the lead dogs are literally, that's called lead. Those are the lead dogs. Um, I think this is kind of a common misconception that there is the, the, the lead dog, the one lead dog. Most people do not have one lead dog. Most people train a lot of their dogs to lead because that way you have, um, lots of options because some dogs do really well, like when the trail's soft and some dogs do well when the wind's blowing and so you, you switch, switch out. Lead is the hardest position for the dogs. Um, mentally, because every other position, they have a dog in front of them. So visually, they're just following the dog in front of them. But when they're in lead, it's wide open, and it's up to them to make the decision and listen to you and do what you ask them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So dog in front, lead. The dog's right behind them. It kind of depends on who you ask. I've heard it called point, and I've heard it called swing. I typically switch back and forth um, between calling them that. So either point or swing dogs are the dogs right behind the leaders. Every dog behind them is called the team dog up until you get right in front of the vehicle, the sled, whatever the dogs are hooked to. Those dogs are called the wheel dogs. Um, Okay. So it goes wheel, team, point or swing and then lead
0: lead okay thank you for explaining that i've been pelting you with questions (laughs) it's good it's good um okay so now that we have like the vernacular tell me more about the type of dogs that are the best sled dogs or maybe not best but like either breed or size or personality like what is what makes a sled dog in your mind
1: so to me what what makes a good sled dog is obviously first of all breeding like anytime any one of us wants to do uh, a sport you should probably get a dog that was bred for that sport if if you want to be successful in that sport so um The dogs that we use are Alaskan huskies. I did start with Siberian huskies and Siberian huskies are fantastic. Um, Siberian huskies are really cool. They were bred to have super, super low metabolisms. So they apparently can actually even control their metabolism. So they were bred to like go out on an expedition and only need like a fish for the day. <laughs> um, because of this, they are not high. They're not high input and they're not high output dogs. They are your study and will get you there. And without much fuss, like I said, my dogs were like, cool, you want to pet us? If you don't, that's great. They, they like hang out with me and they love you and stuff, but they're not like expecting much from their human. Mm -hmm. so because of that they travel at about six miles an hour that's about their average some are eight and i know if there's any sprint mushers listening i'm so sorry you guys dogs are much faster they have specifically bred the siberian huskies to be faster and i've seen sprint siberians hitting 15 to 20 miles an hour but those dogs are not doing 100 miles a day like distance dogs they're they're just not the distance Siberian Huskies are bred to be slower they have a great place um that's not what we use because my husband is into competitive dog mushing um so we have a breed of dog called an Alaskan Husky this answer is going to vary depending on people you ask in my opinion the Alaskan Husky is a mixed breed purebred dog just like any other breed of dog There was other dogs that went behind it to create this breed. A lot of people were like, oh, it's it's a husky mixed with a hound mixed with this. Like, yes, it was. But that was 50 years ago. Okay. Plus, 50 plus years ago. Um, So they have been so selectively bred that if you get them in bark DNA tested, they come back as Alaskan type husky. They have their own genetic markers. We're working with in bark um, right now to help them match even more of the markers and to actually find the genetic markers. And they're trying to find what makes a good sled dog. They are studying our dogs and like five other kennels. And they are like trying to pinpoint this is the genetic marker that is marked for greatness. Um, so that's kind of cool. So, um, Alaskan Huskies were, they're a combination of, they were the, the native village dogs here in Alaska, like sled dogs, like I would said, have been around for thousands of years. People in Alaska and Russia and Arctic places have been using sled dogs as a way of survival for thousands of years. So they were already developed, um. Then the gold rush happened in Alaska, and people were legit stealing dogs from the lower 48 and bringing dogs up here. And when the gold started to dry up, people found that there was money in racing their dogs. So they would say, well, Butch here is a great sled dog, so I'm going to... And he was a St. Bernard mix with this thing and that thing, and I'm going to breed him to this dog. So there were people like Leonard Seppler. I'm sure you guys have seen Togo. If you haven't seen Togo, watch it. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. Also, my father-in-law was the stunt double for William Dafoe and did all of the, like, um, consulting on it and stuff. It's it's a pretty accurate movie, other than the location. That's not what Gnome looks like. But um, (laughs) there were a couple people that specifically bred Siberian Huskies. Um... But for the most part, they were mixing in whatever. So actually, my father-in-law was one of the people that kind of pioneered what our modern-day Alaskan Husky is. He went to, he was running distance races. He was doing Iditarod. He was doing the longer races. And they were using the fluffier, kind of more what we call now like trap-line dogs. And he went to the guys that were using dogs that had more hound in them, and they were running sprint races. And he said, I want your slowest sprint dogs. And he bred them into... They're also Alaskan Huskies, but into the the more distance hardy dog. And that has created what is our modern day Alaskan Husky. So they they they're not like a half. They're not half German short hair pointer and half Husky that that would make a half German short hair pointer and half Husky years ago. Before we were born, my father-in-law mixed a Saluki in because to, to, he wanted that speed. And he was like, oh, gosh, you know how many generations of breeding it took to breed out all the undesired traits of the Saluki? And he's <laughs> like, I'm d- I did not add in another dog after that because he was like, I can just breed to a better Alaskan Husky. Mm. And because it's not a closed gene pool, like, we, we could go out and add a pointer to our dogs and yeah. – it doesn't matter because our dogs aren't purebreded we're not going to mess up our like bloodline you know what I mean yeah um so like one of our dogs Susitna she had puppies and and there's a like rumor between like the guy that originally bred Susitna he's like yeah supposedly uh the people that aren't her great great grandma had Springer Spaniels and we bred Susitna and all of her puppies have a lot of spots and one of them I swear came out with like a Springer Spaniel face and I'm like well maybe (laughs) maybe 10 generations back there was a Springer Spaniel in there but Anyway, a long tangent of basically – but if you ask someone else, they're gonna another dog masha they're going to be like, no, Alaskan Huskies are not purebred, and I mixed the pointer into my dogs, you know, two generations ago. But in my opinion, the dogs that we're working with, um, that, that we're using, and what most people are using as Alaskan Huskies, for all intents and purposes, are purebred. I think I had read something once that, like – Essentially, it's like after five generations of of selective breeding, the same, it's genetically considered a quote-unquote purebred. Um, Okay. I could be wrong on this, but I remember reading something about this like 10 years ago. So, in my opinion, they're essentially a purebred, but they're not registered. They're just a performance working breed dog. Okay. So, in my opinion, what makes a good sled dog is a dog that, um, first and foremost, has a really happy, like, good attitude, a dog that wants to run and is willing to run and for us we we want a dog that can average about 10 miles an hour our dogs run about 8 to 12 miles an hour they can go faster but it's we want them to be able to average 10 miles an Mm -hmm. hour for 100 miles in a day they've got to be able to do like a 50 mile run at 10 miles an hour when we're training um you want a really biddable dog in my opinion alaskan huskies are one of the most biddable dogs i've ever met they're like the most pleasurable dogs to own they are constantly looking to please you, but they're also like mm-hmm. all up in your personal space. <laughs> um, so a biddable dog is really great. You want a confident dog, but the another amazing thing about Alaskan Huskies is they're typically, they shouldn't be, and we spay and neuter any dog that has any aggression. They should not be aggressive. So we have a one and a half year old and almost every single one of our dogs we can bring inside the house, and they act like a, a puppy with him and are very gentle with our son and good with him. Um, we have a cat. Most of them are good with a the cat. They shouldn't have prey drive. They don't go after a squirrel on, on the trail and, and drive you off and kill you and a lot of that can can also break down training you know you just got to be consistent with your dogs um but so and like what makes a good sled dog is a biddable dog that is capable and wants to run Mm -hmm. for a long distance and um you know no aggression just a Like, kind of in my opinion, this is like an ideal dog, you know?
0: That is a great description. Thank you very much. And also the ins and outs of the Alaskan Husky. Because I I know Charlotte's mentioned it before of like a purpose bread mix that is like an a specific yeah. breed on into itself almost but as you said there's flexibility with yeah, it it's yeah so i think no it's really interesting kind of just learning about that and i'm just also loving all the stuff that your father-in-law has done it's like you somehow married into like mushing sled dog royalty uh, from like all the stuff that he's done it right. sounds like
1: <laughs> it's so cool that's it's so neat to be able to like i his my father-in-law was like a hero to me when i was a kid like a, a lot of people that rented dog mushing because he was so cool like his kennel name is happy trails and when he started running dogs there were still some old school dog mushers um that like were not kind to their dogs and he made it his goal that he was like i i want to pass them and when they're yelling at their dogs and screaming at their dogs my dogs are happy tails mm-hmm. wagging and we're blowing past them like that's that's my goal and so he named his kennel happy trails kennel and that's it's happy dogs it's all about having happy dogs and so it was like he understood the dog psychology before like for us it's like so easy right we open up instagram and we're like getting educated on how to properly train and communicate with our dogs but that wasn't a thing back then so it is it's really neat and we're so fortunate to be able to like learn from someone who who had the forethought and he changed i really do believe he changed dog mushing and that's one of the reasons that it's still around today because he was like no they're not there are their dogs, yeah. and they need to be treated better than this. Like they're not just working animals. So I, I'm, I'm very fortunate.
0: No, that's amazing. I think, you know, on that note, there's a lot I think of I don't want to say misconceptions, because it's like maybe there is a foundation for this one day of like this idea that a lot of people have of, oh, you're making the dogs work and you don't treat them well, and they live outside and they're just a tool for you. like not you specifically, obviously, but like sled dog, that like ideology, I think a lot of people have, whereas they don't seem to have that for maybe dogs that are like herding dogs or, you know, like farm dogs or something. It's like, oh no, they, they love to be out in the field herding the sheep. But I think people have this, I don't know, like somehow like bad idea of sled dogs sometimes. But is there any like common misconceptions about sled dogs and mushing that you want to tell so like you already mentioned you don't say mush so like is there anything else that you notice that you often kind of like roll your eyes at or or want to correct anyone on
1: yeah so i think that i first of all i think that uh any concerns with dog mushing are always they're founded in like people's heart like in the right place right we all love our dogs and we care about them so i think one of the things that is like most shocking to people or like that we get a kind of a question a lot about is like first of all the dogs living outside and i get it because like i had mentioned earlier i have a german shepherd and like okay he's literally from a place in the world that gets really cold so he probably he would be fine outside but i would feel really bad leaving him outside so okay i'm gonna go to a a bully breed they don't have the coat to live outside i would Never, ever, ever have that dog live outside. So you have to set your dog up for like the conditions that it was bred for. So my dogs are not happy inside, and I think that that's a really hard concept for people because most of us don't have um like performance bred mm-hmm. dogs. Like my dogs can go out and run fifty yes. miles in five hours. Like they're insane, and they love it because they've been selectively bred for thousands of years to do this. Um, so. Sled dogs do like being outside, I promise you, I promise you. I try bringing them inside, okay, I've tried, and they try, like, some of them love being inside, so we rotate through bringing them inside, but most of them do not, and they try and get back outside, and these are dogs that were raised coming inside as puppies, it's not, because it's something new to them. This is because they want to be outdoors. Yeah. They don't like confinement around them. Um, So I do think that's one thing. And, and uh, it's something to always keep in mind is if you see a photo of a dog outside and if they have a blanket of snow over them, it's cold and they have snow over them or they have ice on them. That actually means that the dog's coat is doing its job and it's keeping them warm. Because if on our bare skin, if we go out in the snow or if we even touch ice, it melts. Because our body heat is escaping our body, but if it's not melting on the dogs, that means that their their body heat is staying inside their body, and so they're actually staying warm. So, um, that is another like kind of common misconception. People are like, oh, are they cold? And it's like, no, they're not cold. Um, so they're they're not cold. Wild animals that like live in arctic regions are not cold mm-hmm. because you can see the snow building up on them. So you know that that's how they're staying warm. Um, so that's it. I'm trying to think other misconceptions um I, oh i'll go on the, the running so uh, one other misconception i think that people have sometimes is that the dogs are forced to run um that we're making them run and i the a thing that i've heard to describe it is you can't push a rope and sometimes it's like, Well, what does that mean? And it's if the dog were to stop, you literally can't make it go. And I'm sure everyone who has a dog knows what it's like if you're walking your dog and they like stop to smell something. You're like, Okay, come yeah. on, let's go And they're like, No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't I don't want to go right now And you're like I can't drag you And so it's the same thing. Like the dogs are not forced to run. If they want to stop they can and um unhappy dogs will not run if we're not taking good care of them they will not run but i do also personally feel that it's our responsibility to make sure that the dogs are are well taken care of and we will get on anyone that we see if we feel like they are running their dogs too hard or are asking too much of them because these dogs are amazing and they will like they'll give you 110 percent. so it is our job as their like as their companion to make sure that they are like within the realm of what's healthy and good for them But one way that I always kind of point out to you that our dogs are not forced to run. It's just it's just like I I love using this as an example. And I should post more videos on my social media, but I do have some videos of it on my social media is um, a lot of people say, well, because your dogs are confined. Like, of course, they're going to run because they're confined. Um, And like, I understand thinking that, but I let I let my dogs off to run around at least once a day. Um, And. We put their harnesses on, let them off, they run around, and then they go to the line, and they wait to go get hooked up. And then when we're out on a run, we'll stop and let them off, and they'll run around. And then when you tell them, like, they'll run around, but they'll stick close to us, and then we tell them, okay, it's time to go. They run back to the line, you hook them up, and then they're screaming and hitting the harness, and we call it, like, banging on the line, ready to go, ready to go. So, like, these guys, there is a difference to them of, like, okay, I'm free running, I'm a normal dog, and then, boom, I'm in the harness, I'm next to my friend, it's time to go, it's time to work. Um, so it, you you literally cannot make them run. I, I had a dog, Allie. She was one of my first sled dogs. Fantastic dog. I took her out on a run and I found that she only liked to run three miles because after three (laughs) miles, she would slam on the brakes. And so I had to carry her on an ATV, like over my lap. She's like,
0: that was a great run.
1: Yeah. And she was like a princess. Um, and so I took me a call. I was like, maybe, maybe she like, maybe there's something weird. So I like, gave her a week off, you know, and then took her out again, ready this time to carry her mm-hmm. three miles in. Done. It's like, okay. So you literally, you cannot, they will just stop. They will put their feet in the ground and stop and be like, I'm yeah. done.
0: No, I think those are great things to address because from everything you've said, it's like these dogs are Athletes like they are professional athletes, if right. and it doesn't behoove them or you to not treat them like that. So it's like if they were actually cold yes. outside. Like you would end up bringing them in or you would do something to remedy yes. that because it affects like their ultimate like performance and stuff too
1: exactly I mean that is the thing that if someone maybe wasn't the kindest person they're still gonna take good care of their dogs because they're not gonna perform mm-hmm. well if if they're cold if they're not doing well you know we take care of the dogs also because we love them yeah but yeah that uh, a mistreated dog will not run yes well they just won't
0: so you can't
1: you can't be performing with a mistreated dog. Yes.
0: From everything I know about dogs, I definitely know that too. It's like, right? you know, if they're not happy with something in their life, it, it's going to show in a different way. It's going to come out in some way. Exactly. way. And yeah, I totally get that. And I think I'm sure a lot of people in the dog community understand that, you know, yes. and I do think that tide has kind of been changing about this idea of a working dog. Um but we still, I feel like, aren't exposed as much to like sled dogs or mushing in this dog yeah. community. Like I've been working in it for so long, and I really don't feel like I've come across a lot of accounts or like dog sports that it's very common to be sledding. Like I feel like I come across like agility and right. you know maybe bike drawing or something, um, or like can across or something like that more than the machine. So I'm, I'm just so excited yeah. to learn more about this. So really quick question about training the dogs. Do you, I guess, I mean, I'm sure there's so much that goes into the training. And as you said, you have a lot of them from puppies and, and I'm sure they learn from each other as well. My only question is like what you were mentioning about the lead dog or the lead dogs. How do you teach them physics? Because like, you know, when you have like a dog, they can just like pivot. How do you teach them that they are attached to something bigger so that when they have to round a corner that they have to go wide with it? Like, how do you teach that stuff? That's a good question.
1: Okay, so like we're going around a corner. That's all on the dog musher and driving the sled. So uh, when, when we're seeing a corner coming up, where we are doing the physics so i will slow down and then as the lead dogs hit the corner i will let off of the brake and so i'm gonna like whoosh, like really pulled and so you speed up through the corner so that way you're not slowing down and getting drug. like cutting the line okay like cutting cutting the corner uh that is one of the characteristics of a good wheel dog if you kind of watch some dog washing videos and you'll see some sled dogs doing it they will cut back and forth underneath the line and so a good wheel dog or good dogs in the back will actually you can't Teach them it. it's just this is genetics, this is just natural. Mm-hmm. They will pay attention and they will, like, let's say we're going um, right around a the corner, they will cut left under the line and try and help you drag your sled ride uh, wide to the left. I will also get out onto my right foot, will be on my left runner. I may have my like right toes on the left side of my brake to be helping like yank it over and also dragging my left foot out wide. So you're literally trying to yank your sled around wide. So when you're when you're out driving your sled, you are like constantly dancing back and forth and moving and, and you're steering the sled for the dogs. You're helping like go like wide around.
0: Um Okay. So there is a good amount of like teamwork like like you as the the person on the sled are doing a good amount of work as well to make sure that they so it's not just all commands it's not like you just like yeah. yelling you know go left or whatever it is also like a yeah. very symbiotic you controlling things from yes. the back too okay interesting I didn't know
1: that I have described before like in living with the dogs and running them it is like a very symbiotic like we are this whole unit and like living as this family and when we're out on the trail you're that's what that you really do bond with your dogs and that's why like it's kind of it's like really offensive and like really hurtful when people say that we don't care about our dogs or that dog mushing is cruel because it's like we spend more time than most people do with their dogs we're out on the trail and we're like tackling these challenges with them not like telling them Okay, you're gonna go here. And then we sit here on the sled, like we're driving the sled and we're moving and we're working hard and we're sweating and we're sore at the end of it too. Like Mm -hmm. and it's just like, oh yeah, we accomplished that together. That
0: was so cool. Oh amazing. Well, okay, on that note, last question about mushing, and you've answered so much for us, Alyssa. So (laughs) I'm gonna wrap this up with you. Um you've said that you've wanted to do mushing like your whole life. Now that you have been doing it your whole life, what Do you love about it? Like what makes you keep coming back?
1: I absolutely love the time spent with the dogs. And like I said, like those accomplishments because you – you spend and you spend essentially the dog's whole life with the dog so you're like nurturing them as a puppy or a young dog you might get them out of year or too old and you're helping build that confidence in them but they're also helping build confidence in you i'm learning as a dog trainer i every dog is a, a new they're a new new like themselves mm-hmm. so you learn something new and they've got their own personalities and and then you're like meeting these challenges and worried you're like okay work through it with them and and it's just like you go through highs and lows with the dogs on the trail. Maybe mm-hmm. the trail's soft and you're, the dogs are kind of like struggling and you're pushing and you're struggling. and You're thinking, oh, I'm so sorry, you guys, and this kind of sucks. And, and then it's like then the trail gets great and then maybe you have like this beautiful sunset and the dogs are just the dogs are always stoked and you're yeah, like, yeah. And then you're like, this is amazing. We can do anything. And so like what what kind of always brings me back to it and and like why I live this lifestyle is because it also is a we're connect I feel like I'm connected to kind of like a life and and that's almost lost and in the past so many people we live in concrete worlds and and like kind of like you and I discussed Mm -hmm. like um people have to work from home like I I couldn't find find a headset because like we don't have to make like phone calls that much I'll talk on phone calls for my business but not a whole lot like i get to spend most of my time outside in nature like tackling kind of like real tangible things that i can hold in my hand and so i i feel like i am connected to like our and kind of like our ancestors and like what people did before us and like yeah. you know kind of struggling to survive but obviously like not because i'm in my nice warm heated house but i do honestly believe that humanity is where it's at because of dogs because we chose to partner with dogs and dogs made our lives easier like we had herding dogs we had protection dogs we had sled dogs that could pull us around and and like hunting dogs and just all of those different things that dogs have boosted us into this like society where and now we have them as companions mm-hmm. and like now it's almost like can okay, we get to chill with our dogs and like reap the benefits that people before us put a lot of hard work and thought into and breeding these dogs for these jobs that we needed them to survive So I I really like being able to still like kind of, I can actually physically like touch the past of what brought us and dogs to this like comfortable place that we are as humans. But I still get to see kind of that like raw wild side to to dogs and and to life.
0: Absolutely. Well said. So thank you for that. That was, that was beautiful. I, I didn't really think about that until you mentioned it of the heritage and tradition that comes with mushing. And yeah, just how probably like very connected you feel to them as dogs, but also just like the tradition of it. And as you said, like the ancestry. So that's such a great answer. So thank you very much. And thank you for telling us everything about sled dog, all the vernacular, all the like breeding, the dog type and everything. It's been really, really interesting. Can you plug your info for all of our listeners to follow you?
1: So if you guys want to follow us, we our handle on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok is all at Susitna Sled Dog Adventures. And uh, Susitna is spelled S-U-S-I-T-N-A. And the Susitna River and the Susitna Mountain are basically, well, the river is basically across the street from our house. So that's why we have the name Susitna.
0: Um, I was wondering where that came from. Susitna Sled Dog Adventures. Go follow Alyssa, everyone. Of course, I will put all of her info also in the show notes so you can just click and link to her social media. But if you wanted to follow the podcast, it's at with a dog podcast on Instagram. My personal is Carly with a dog on Instagram and TikTok. And we have new episodes every Wednesday. Thank you again, Alyssa. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> All content on the With a Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.